0: All right, well, here we go with another visit with an accessibility practitioner. And today I am pleased to be talking to Andrew Hayward. Hello, Andrew, how are you? I'm fine, how are you, John? Yeah, I'm really good. Uh, I'm talking from a uh, home office uh, in the Seattle area on Bashan Island. Um, where are you talking to us from?
1: I am joining you from uh, an armchair in my living room <laughs> in Southeast London in the UK. Um, it's a little bit later for me than it is for you, but uh, appreciate you taking the time to. Talk
0: well, to. I appreciate you uh, sharing in this as well, and so uh, you know we'll talk about uh, you know a lot of things about uh, you know what what you're involved with with accessibility. But I mean, just to start out, um, what's your current situation? What type of work are you doing?
1: Uh, so currently, I am uh, an accessibility engineer uh, at Twitter um company you may have heard of uh twitter is on a the early beginnings of its uh sort of disability and accessibility journey um we have founded a, a product accessibility team about a year ago now um which uh yeah i, I was sort of part of, of getting that set up um and yeah it's just been a, a really sort of big year for us getting that going um and yeah the team has just sort of grown from from one person a year ago to uh so now, uh, best part of ten people at this point. So uh, yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, well, that's great to hear about the growth in that. And uh, you know, this uh, this podcast is all about hearing about people's journeys that uh, led them into accessibility work. So uh, you know, why don't you just pick a spot? You know, go back in time. Maybe pick out some of the you know, maybe one of the first milestones that started you uh, on the uh, road that got you to where you are today.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I mean, I think we talk a lot about accessibility practitioners, um, and yeah, from a professional perspective, that's sort of very far, few and far between. Um, you know, technically, <laughs> in my fifteen-ish year career at this point, um, I have been a professional accessibility engineer for one of those. Um, you know, the others I've just been in, in web development software engineering, um, and it's almost just sort of been been there as an underlying constant. Um, you know, when I first started getting into web development, the, the web standards movement was a really big thing. Certainly in the world I was part of, um, accessibility was just something we did. It wasn't, you know, sort of a specialty. It wasn't, um, you know, a profession that people really went into. It was just part of doing the right thing. You know, you, you have a good design, you have good UX and you have good accessibility. Um, and that was just how I sort of grew up building for the web. And that's kind of stuck with me ever since. Um, yes, I mean it's it's something I tried to do all along. Um, it wasn't until I started working for Mozilla um, quite some time ago now, <laughs> um, where I really started thinking about um, sort of the the intersection of of humanity in the internet. Um, you know, sort of all the things I've been doing before that they were you know mostly web based. There's a bit of desktop software along the way, uh, but mostly web based stuff um and uh, well, yeah, it wasn't really until i got to mozilla that it was like, actually thinking about the people using these things so
0: well, let's just stop there and dig into that a little bit so you, you mentioned you had the uh the uh web development background and that you've mm. been uh you know aware of that um so did it just start out with uh you know learning things online or just uh hearing from others about the accessibility aspect of of
1: uh, your development yes i mean i suppose this was kind of turn of the century really you know coming into the, the 21st century um and yeah it was just sort of, it was a it was a really small core community of you know of, of web interested people i don't say web developers because it was it was a good mixture of people still is really um but it was it was just a sort of a, a group of people who you could kind of Kind of know a lot of them and it was just a lot of conversational stuff and people wrote blog posts <laughs> as people used to do and it's all you know micro blogging these days and and things like that um, but yeah people wrote full-on articles on their websites um about different things they'd been doing just sort of exploring how things work you know obviously the the web of 20 years ago was a very different uh, landscape to what it is today um, both in, you know, in terms of what we've got available to us uh, as developers but also the people using it um, you know sort of the the people on the Internet 20 years ago, um, in many respects, had the same problem, but it just wasn't as sort of as widely used, I suppose. Um, it was very early days for sort of really thinking about um, what it meant to build an accessible experience. You know, obviously Tim Berners-Lee and his whole, you know, the web is for everyone. It, it should be accessible. Um, and it, I think to begin with, it, it kind of felt like that's just how it was. Um, and I don't want to sort of <laughs> be the old man shaking his fist at the clouds, but it, it feels like we as a community sort of missed a term somewhere along the way. Um, and we we pursued developer happiness over user happiness, um, which is yeah, it's a little upsetting because you know we, we built all these tools that allow us to to notionally build these great experiences, and yet we forget um, what it means to build uh, you know properly inclusive and accessible web
0: um, well you, know. you have been uh involved in it essentially from you know the start of the formalized uh integration of accessibility because the world wide web consortium it had, had its initial web accessibility initiative start around nineteen ninety eight and that was you yeah. my first uh, exposure to it and uh uh so uh then it, as you uh you know uh, then you mentioned uh, a little later on, it was uh, at Mozilla where uh, you really got more involved. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh,
1: Mozilla, um, so um, I was working on a few different projects. Um, I sort of came on board just as a, a general web developer, sort of working on a few sort of just profile portfolio type sites that Mozilla was working on um, but then over time sort of went into specific projects um, and it was really sort of Mozilla's aim is to sort of think about how people use the internet um, and, and how we can use the internet um, for the good of that audience um, and so you know, as I said while I was trying to build accessible experiences to the best of my you know ability at the time um, it wasn't, I, I wasn't really thinking about people. I was just sort of thinking about accessibility. Um, and that's sort of like, it sounds a bit, <laughs> a bit of a silly split, um, but, you know, so the academic side of accessibility is it's all well and good, but until you start actually applying it to people, um, it doesn't really mean very much. You know, y- you can read the specs all day. Um, But until you get it in front of people and actually say, like, does this work for you, Um, then you're never really going to know. So, yeah, sort of working at Mozilla and thinking like, oh, you know, even though the work I was doing wasn't accessibility related, it made me just think much more about the people that we were building for and not the things we were building. Um, And I think that was sort of like a a turning point, really, of just sort of having moving from sort of thinking about it technically to thinking about it from a, a you know a human point of view so
0: yeah. well I, I mean i think the, it, it sounds like uh it was very progressive user-centered design uh approach overall and so that benefits uh everyone who mm-hmm. who participates with a project and uh, and although it, it sounds like you were involved in the technical aspects of it initially you know ultimately it, you know we rely on that to be you know, for assistive devices to be able to uh, work effectively, so yeah. so that part of it uh, is definitely good that you were you know investing the the time there. Um, it in uh, in uh, the work that you did at Mozilla did did it uh, uh, move itself into like any official projects where accessibility was specifically addressed uh, in your time there. Um,
1: not specifically, no, I mean, I worked with some great teams who were really sort of forward thinking about this kind of stuff, um, you know, our, our designers and our our product managers and our researchers, they're all sort of on board with saying, yeah, okay, this is all of our responsibility. You know, if we want to build products that are are fully inclusive, then we have to think about these things all the way through the whole process. Um, so no, I mean, there was no specific, um, sort of accessibility related things, um, I mean, as I said at the beginning, it's only really in the last year that it's been my official job title, um, in, you know, 15 plus years of doing this professionally. Um, so yeah, it's interesting, um, that to me, I don't think it needs to be a job title for it to be something that you think about. Um, you know, I think it's good to have professionals, um, thinking about it all the time that, you know, we can go to that can be, um sort of subject matter experts, I suppose is the phrase that's going around these days. Um, but ultimately, you don't have to be an expert. You don't even have to be like educated in it. I think you just have to. The baseline is you have to have an awareness that there are people who have different access needs and you need to be able to push that conversation at every step of you know, the development process um, and just challenging people to think about that. You know. So that that's where the experts come in to be able to answer those questions. But ultimately, if you have people on development teams who are just saying, "Hey, what about this scenario?" You might not be able to come up with a solution. But having a team just stop and think about it is, yeah, it's a huge step. Um, and unfortunately, most most teams don't take that step, right? You know, yeah. today. So
0: Let, let's dig into your experience with that. Um, you know, wor- You know, working with it in that situation. Um, did you, uh, did you build your own uh, library of uh, code solutions and things like that? How did you kind of manage accessibility in that, in that time period? Um, so I
1: mean, I suppose this was all at a time when things like jQuery were just coming about, um, and and stuff like that. So a lot of the web still is, to a degree, um, built on the back of frameworks like that. Um, Fortunately, a lot of the more modern web frameworks, at least, um, do take into consideration accessibility to a degree. Um, So I suppose all along, it's really... I've always found it a bit easier, certainly when working on sort of bespoke portfolio-type sites, to just build them um, in their own way, in a way that works for that experience. I think sometimes it's easy to forget that just because the library you're using might offer accessible components you can't just shove a bunch of components in a box and hope that the contents of that box are accessible too I mean, <laughs> accessibility doesn't work like that um so i've always just sort of taken each project in on its own sometimes you know particularly as i've sort of got further along and worked at larger places and they've had um sort of design systems in place um, working to make sure that design system is accessible um, is obviously a, a key part of that um, but ultimately you know you just have to th- be able to think about the whole experience too um, and for a smaller portfolio project the sorts of things i was working on 10 something years ago um, it's it for me at least it was easier just to approach it from like a baseline anyway and just say okay what does this project need and most of the time, it doesn't need a big framework. Um, you know, there are there are some things that um, are sort of used regularly, you know, grid layouts and things like that, which are fortunately much easier to do today than they were ten years ago. Um, but for the most part, it, it's just sort of it's knowing the concepts rather than having repeatable, reusable code, um, and just sort of knowing what sorts of traps are going to be in place, the things to look out for. Um, and so it, it's as much experience as anything else. Unfortunately, I mean, I'd, I'd like to be able to say that we could just give a, a fresh developer, oh, you know, here's a framework, it'll do everything for you, but it, it's never going to work like that um, because the experience of, a, of an individual user, it doesn't come down to frameworks and doesn't come down to you know, uh, design systems. It, it is a matter of how do we make sure that this whole experience workflow um works for as many people as possible because i mean it, you can't say this is an accessible experience because different users have different access needs um and the chances of covering all of them are slim anyway let alone trying to do it with a one-size-fits-all framework so
0: and uh, so as you moved on from uh mozilla what were some of the next uh uh kind of Highlights that you had as you, which got you to where you're at today uh, in your current organization? Um, so, after Mozilla,
1: I moved to Etsy, um, the uh, online retail. Um, and that was a bit of an eye opener because I just sort of naturally assumed that in the corporate world, um, these things were thought about I mean, <laughs> because of the legal precedent, if nothing else. Um, yeah, it's one thing working for a, a small startup or a sort of a, a more user focused environment like Mozilla um, but I just assumed that like a larger corporate entity like Etsy would have just sort of had it done and sorted um, so when I, w- I went there um, and that was a, was a bit of an eye-opener because I started looking at the Etsy code base and I started looking at the website and it was a bit of a mess, certainly from a screen reader perspective. Um, Nobody was really thinking about it. And I I did a sort of a lunch and learn type um, talk, um, I guess, not long after I started. And all it really took was to play a recording of a screen reader Trying to read out the Etsy homepage for people to just sort of sit up and be silent and just be like, what is this? You know, how, first of all, because they'd never really experienced a screen reader reading a website. But secondly, it's like, this makes absolutely no sense. Um, And out of that, Etsy did start an accessibility team, um, which was good to see. Um, That wasn't what I did. Um, I carried on working on the the projects I was doing. but it was more just recognising that everyone has the ability to make some change you know, if, if they are willing to just sort of step up and, and say something. Um, you, know, you don't have to be some high-level executive in a company to get people to notice. Um, so It's not really something I've already thought about until more recently, um, that advocacy doesn't mean you know, sort of standing on a box and shouting. It just means seeing a problem and talking about it you know you can do that quietly you can do that loudly you can do it in, in whatever way suits you um, but just sort of making people aware of a problem in a way that that works and makes sense to them is a really powerful um, sort of step to take and, I, and I, I've been asked a few times in the last few years and say like, oh you know how how do you do all of this stuff and it's like oh I don't like it, it really is just a matter of like, well, it's important to me and I feel like it should be important to you too. So I'm going to talk to you about it. Um, and it's as simple as that really. Um, so that yeah. to answer your question. Moving on to Etsy was, was that sort of like, yeah, not even in sort of corporate America, is this really a thing that's thought about? Um, and I suppose that was just sort of a, a little bit of naivety there. Probably just sort of expecting that even though it might not be great, there would still be this understanding that it was a thing that was needed
0: um, yeah i, I so, think your experience yeah. there isn't isn't unusual i i mean we both mentioned how long we've been thinking about this and you know looking back on 20 years uh i thought a lot more would have uh, happened in the last 20 years uh, on the other hand i'm excited by the things that have happened and you know and where it has been embraced and so i think your example there at you know, at Etsy, just you know, shows how your your own passion and interest uh, at a grassroots level can, you know, move things forward. Hmm. And uh, yeah, so, I mean, what was the uh, what was the next step after that?
1: Um, next step after that, um,
0: or or wherever I, you want to take it to, if you want to bring <laughs> it up to where you are today.
1: Sure. So yeah, I mean, happy to to jump forward to Twitter. Um, so yeah, I I started at Twitter about three years ago um and i think just sort of having had the experiences at at mozilla and um of just recognizing that there's nothing wrong with talking about stuff um and just sort of being yourself and expressing what's important to you just carried on doing that um it it just sort of became part of being a, a more senior engineer was just telling the team almost it's like okay this is good but we haven't thought about this Um, (laughs) it's always frustrating when you see accessibility sort of get written up as work tickets and and put in a separate box um it's like well no like the the thing you're working on isn't finished until it's also accessible um i can understand that you know we we do things and sometimes we miss things out and we have to file a bug or or whatever and it gets fixed Um, but trying to encourage this idea that a, a thing that you're working on also has to consider accessibility. Um, you know, you can't just say, oh, well, I'll get back to that. Because people don't like whatever it is often, you know, people like you might add a, a to do item, but very rarely do we do. We really get around to doing a lot of these things and accessibility in particular, I think, because people view it as this sort of alien challenge almost. It's like, well, I don't know anything about that. So I'm just going to put it over there and maybe think about it later. Um, And, you know, as I said, it doesn't, you don't have to have the solution to it. You just have to be able to think about it. And it's, it can be hard, um, certainly at bigger places where there's no sort of conversation happening, but ultimately just most importantly, being aware that there are these problems, I think. Um, and that's what I've tried to encourage. At, at Twitter, is just to sort of think about the fact that these problems exist, um, mm-hmm. and just to have an awareness. Um, and so, you know, two and a half years ago now, we started um, a sort of just a an an individual champions network, I suppose. It was very informal. Um, I say we, a group of employee, like minded employees, all came together and just said, "Like, yeah." Um, we, we need to sort of push this conversation out a bit. Um, you know, it's all well and good having two or three people here and there just having these conversations that need, we need to be able to work out how to how to push that conversation out from outside this small group. And so you know, we set up this informal accessibility champions network and we just sort of we got some recognition for it. Um, Uh, Yes, which which was good. I think you know that in many ways that's that's much more important than having a formal team. Um, If you have sufficient numbers of people with that awareness and having that conversation, then you know the formal team can follow from there. They they can then become the people who you might go to with questions. But if you rely on a formal team and don't have that network, then First of all they get massively overwhelmed. <laughs> like there's, there's no way that they can do all the work that needs to be done. But secondly they will always be doing plain catch up. Um, mm. you know, there will always be things going out that they are then having to go back and fix. Um, you know, Accessibility needs to be thought about from the beginning. It needs to be part of that whole process. Um, and so if you've got people who are willing to just have that conversation then ideally you know you the designs that come through, the product ideas that come through, the the engineering output um it's it's got accessibility baked in. Um and so you that sort of core team, their responsibility really only has to be answering questions and doesn't have to be about fixing problems or you know coming in and, and, and helping a team out. Um, so uh, yeah I mean that, that's sort of where we are today we've got that that balance um of sort of the, the champions network which we've managed to formalize now that's in you know, a properly recognized um sort of group that um people are given dedicated time for. Um, and we also have the the core team that is working on some of our own sort of product features where we see that things are missing. But also mostly just sort of being a a sort of a, a pool for for answering questions, helping people out. Um, because these questions are coming through and that's that's what we want to see. Uh, you know, we want to see all these questions that people have and we can sort of share them and and a lot of actually we, we're at a point now where we're able to the first point of call for these questions is to go to the the champions network. People don't even come to us; they just ask each other. Um, and it's only really when it's a problem that people haven't seen before um, that they have to come to us. So it's it, it's hugely beneficial for us because you know people aren't just relying on us to fix all the problems. I mean, this isn't to so say we we you know, we don't have a long way to go. We're we're very much in in the early days, um, sort of baby steps at this point, but. um you know, things have massively improved in the last year year and a half um, which is yeah just that that really is just a uh you know the effect of a group of people coming together and saying we want to see some change and we're going to just keep talking until that change happens
0: but so. so it sounds like uh you you, you mentioned the the champions but it sounds like there's kind of two levels you 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 have support going across the organization from you and your accessibility colleagues but then are our people then uh, also assigned to uh individual projects within the organization that they pay attention to
1: yeah sometimes um you know definitely some of our um, higher profile projects um we will sort of dedicate a lot of our time to um if, if they need some help getting things out the door then it, it makes it just makes sense to to put one of the accessibility team on that project just to help guide them through and and make sure all those conversations are happening rather than having to sort of wait for things to filter through to us um because you know obviously <laughs> the higher profile features on on a site like twitter they can quite quickly if we put them out um in an inaccessible way, then <laughs> the publicity around that isn't great. Um, so if, even just from a team perspective, we want to see these high profile features going out being accessible from day one. Um, so that's mm-hmm. our motivation. Um, but yeah, it, it's a mixture. Some of it is just um working on on new features to to existing things that we we think are missing. Um, you know, because unfortunately when product conversations happen without accessibility being taken into account. People and teams miss certain aspects. Um, And that's not to point fingers people. It's just a lack of awareness and a lack of that conversation, which is why it's so important. Um, So some of it, we're just having to go back and and fill in gaps that ideally wouldn't have been there in the first place. But it's the old, it's easier to put out an accessible thing than it is to go back and put accessibility into it. Um, and we are now having to spend quite a lot of time, just re-engineering bits and pieces that were never considered with some part of accessibility in mind. Um, no. But it's you know it's it's fruitful work. Like it's it's frustrating, but it's it's good to be able to to have that time and dedicated space to be able to say, okay, what is missing from this product feature, and how can we fix it. Um,
0: yeah. Well, that's yeah. all part of the process. You don't always, you know, know what you don't know. And then as you identify things related to accessibility, you can build it into the business processes earlier on so that it, it comes through research design to a specification and, and uh, makes it easier to uh, so that you don't have a lot of remediation at the end. Well, uh, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to chat with me and, and talk about your experiences, and uh, good luck with uh, what appears to be a growing uh, attention to accessibility at your company, and uh, you know, maybe we'll uh, meet up at some point in the physical world.
1: Yeah, that'd be great. No, yeah, teams, um team's coming along. We're getting there. Now, as I said, we've been around for about a year now. Um, it really kicked off at the beginning of 21, um, you know, 2022, hopefully, lots of time and space to really just sort of push forward and, and kick on with that growth. So, yeah, it's it's going well.
0: All right. Great. Well, thank you very much, Andrew. Thanks, Joe. Hi, I'm Joe Walensky. And as host of the Digital Accessibility Program, I like to keep the focus on our amazing guests. But I'm always excited about my role as Accessibility Director at Blink, the producer of this program, and I'd like to share that with you. Blink is the world's leader in evidence-driven design, and we work with a wide variety of clients. Founded in Seattle, we also have offices in Boston, New York, Austin, San Diego, and San Francisco. Our stated mission is to make technology human. Embracing inclusive design and accessibility brings all of us closer to that mission. We bring accessibility in every one of our projects. Our philosophy is that each of our practitioners should understand how accessibility applies to their own work. Accessibility is not a separate department or activity for us. Our researchers, designers, and developers all employ accessibility principles at every stage. If you have a need for research and design services, Blink is a partner with a full-time commitment to making your product or service accessible and a great experience for all of your customers. Some of the specific areas where we can help, using research to better understand the needs of your customers with disabilities, innovating to make sure your accessibility is the best in class design. We can move existing designs to development in a sprint, and maybe most importantly, we provide a turnkey transformation to an accessible site or app. Of course, compliance status is something that we always include as part of the service. If any of this is of interest, please get in touch with me directly at Joe at blinkux.com. That's J-O-E at B-L-I-N-K-U-X dot com. Thank you. And please take a moment to rate our programming, whatever app you use.